0: You're listening to the Midwest Marketing Orange Hour Podcast with your host, Brett Matice.
1: Have you ever heard that thing that, uh, I don't know if it's true or not, but you see it all over the internet. It's uh, an apple is more effective at waking you up in the morning than a cup of coffee. But my problem with that is you're drinking coffee for all the wrong reasons. If that's why you're drinking it, you're like, oh no, I got to wake up and drink this coffee. Otherwise, I'm going to be sleepy all day. It's like there should be another reason you're drinking coffee outside of just waking up. Well, and who'd want to boil an apple anyway? For exactly. In the That's true. That's true. <laughs> That's funny. So today I'm joined
0: by, give yourself a little introduction. I guess Give the elevator pitch of who you are and who you work for and how you're here. My name is uh, Greg Johnson, and I'm one of the owners and the sales manager for Dark Canyon Coffee Company. Awesome. So, Greg,
1: almost all coffees in the world come from the, like, I guess some people call it the coffee belt, but it's pretty much the equator region. You got the Tropic of Cancer and Tropic of Capricorn. Um, what's your favorite country or area that coffee comes from?
0: Well, it kind of depends on what day of the week it is. What day of the week? Yeah, I guess cause... I won't make you pick a favorite. <laughs> give me like a top three. You know, c- currently, as of this moment right now, because moments change, but, you know, really, we've been getting some really great coffees out of Guatemala. They've been really nice and bright, kind of got some smoky aftertones to them and i that's the one i take home all the time um also from new guinea that one's just the same thing it's got a floral finish to it just kind of been one of my happy makes you smile when you drink a cup can of it. you can you explain floral finish for novices like me that have no idea what that truly means you bet so there, there's actually um when you drink the coffee the biggest thing that you're gaining is your your um taking in that aroma as you do it too and there's actually a kind of a flowery finish to the new guinea coffees that you you really taste in your nose but it feels like it's in your mouth when it happens okay um and then right now that the tanzanian peaberry from africa have just been really good kind of a red wine flavored um, oh really so
1: for all our winos that are also wanting to get into coffee drinking that's where that's the direction they want to head in
0: oh well coffee and wine really parallel each other because there's coffees that are more going toward red wines and ones that go more toward white so they go hand in hand for sure um so we're saying all these places down by the equator is there anything
1: like known as american grown coffee do we do that do we yeah.
0: meddle in that field at all we do actually and we have some really exotic coffees that are uh, that are terrific um kona is probably the most famous american coffee grown in the kona region of hawaii on the big island you know outstanding Coffee expensive, cultivated like wines, and um, really well followed. Um, also, in Puerto Rico, um, they grow some coffees there. Puerto Rican Yoko Selecto is a pretty famous coffee, and it's not too far from uh, Jamaica, which is famous for Jamaican Blue Mountain. So those coffees parallel each other in flavor.
1: Okay, as well so too. but nothing coming from continental United States, lower forty-eight. No, we've
0: we've had some people try it. We even tried to grow some coffee. We had a coffee plant here in South Dakota that we were trying to cultivate in the shop. And, and it's just not enough sunlight, not enough moisture, not enough. There's just a, we're missing a whole lot of what's what's going on and what makes coffee really
1: great. So your ideal coffee growing weather, I guess, what is, I mean, you said a lot of sunshine, a lot
0: of moisture. Is there any other components that really add to good coffee growth? Yeah, most outstanding or gourmet coffees are grown at high altitude, So above 5,000 feet and really when we want to bring about those really great coffees, we want the plant slightly under stress. Um, When we talk about Stradivarius violins, what made the wood in those so good is that there was a drought and it caused those woods to grow really fine and close together. The same thing happens with coffee plants. You want them to grow, but grow at a really slow pace. Um, That way, the layers that form on the bean are really close together and we get more flavor out of it. So we we want it slightly stressed as it's going. We get a better flavor out of it. Really, which is most people would think like the opposite when it comes to
1: consumer goods is like oh we want our cattle just be very unstressed so yeah. that the meat is very tender but you want coffee to be more stressed
0: that's really it, interesting and it parallels wine the same way they're getting some outstanding wines in california the last few years because the grapes were slightly stressed mm-hmm. um causes a concentration of the sugars great flavors and the same thing happened to the wine as happens to the coffee man
1: that's really interesting so can you give us kind of the rundown of what Dark Canyon is, how it came to
0: be. I know there's a lot of intricacies that even I don't know who's somewhat familiar with Dark Canyon. Yeah. Um, essentially, Dark Canyon's uh, 20 plus years old now. It's a conglomeration of uh, the three original business partners who started it off, myself, uh, Lori Lang and David Zewarth. And we found ourselves kind of all servicing the same customers, both from espresso machines and coffee side. We kind of blended those together and brought our passions together at the same time. And that really allowed us to not only bring great coffees, but everything else that went with it um, kind of to our region and our area. And that was really what passion brought us all to it at the same time as we wanted. We were, we'd all traveled somewhere else, got great coffee and wanted to bring it here and share it with everybody. Here exactly. Somewhere. Cause kind of a different deal, having a specialty coffee shop
1: in the middle of South Dakota, which is probably very, very far away from any coffee growing coffee, anything. Yeah,
0: unless we were in Alaska or something, exactly, or the, or the Arctic Circle, I think it'd yes. be tough. So. Yeah, for sure. Which is really <laughs>
1: cool to kind of bring that freshness and, and really good quality coffee to South Dakota, where people may have not been familiar with it twenty years ago, but now for sure are because of you guys.
0: Oh yeah, without a doubt. And and what's really been unique is like even storing coffee and holding it. It's just been a great environment for that. And of course, the people of the the Black Hills in the area have just. Taking us in with their warm hearts and and really enjoyed the coffees as well for sure for sure so
1: you said that it's the conglomeration of three of you guys Uh um can you give everyone your personal experience and your background into coffee and how you came to be with dark canyon
0: well every time somebody asks me about that i always say that that this is my hobby job that i'm doing until i figure out what i'm really going to do with my life (laughs) um but uh, my background um as far as coffee i've worked in coffee shops coffee houses Um, I'm one of the first uh, technicians certified in the United States as a gold cup technician by Specialty Coffee Association of America. So my background really follows that espresso gourmet coffee line, both uh, um, here in the Dakotas and um, in Minnesota, where I came from originally, and then uh, I've also traveled to Italy and gone to the coffee school there, as well as the one that used to be in New York City. So um, that focus on espresso really gave us that gourmet attachment to start off with and we just grew from there okay for sure and me and greg we definitely have a similarity
1: as both being from minnesota so we're both disappointed vikings fans at all times every Uh, year yes um (laughs) so if this may be too long of a list but can you give me the grocery list of dark canyon coffees coffees that you guys roast um if that is too long just give me your most popular i was
0: gonna say the list is pretty extensive at this point because it really encompasses all of the the growing regions of the world and the countries that produce coffee but the things that make us stand out are really our, our gourmet our custom blends so our dakota roast our genuine black hills roasted gold our flame kissed our rattlesnake brew um our canyon gold those are our coffees that are, are day in day out the, the most popular ones that are out yeah, there that you're brewing not brewing roasting every single day um, um yeah for sure the, yeah and, and those are those are blends so we're taking those coffees that are grown in different regions blending them together to get a a flavor that we're chasing okay work. so you
1: take like a flavor uh, bean from guatemala and a bean from jamaica mix them together which that's probably not the right combination but general we, idea we might try it next week exactly then. sounds good <laughs> <laughs> um so you listed off a few there um one that seems to be just a fan favorite is highlander grog um which is a very unique name how did Highlander Grog get its name, or was it just kind of on a whim, or how did that
0: come to be? Well, Highlander Grog is something that uh, coffee roasters have done for a while, and everybody's kind of got their own spin on a on a Highlander Grog. Ours, without giving away too many secrets, exactly. Is, yeah, don't give away uh, any secrets. Is a butterscotch, French vanilla, and Irish cream uh, blended onto a, a coffee that's really mild in flavor. And I think that's one of the things that makes our flavored coffee so unique from other ones is that. We go the extra step and actually use a coffee from, right now we're currently using one from Mexico. It's got a nice mild flavor to it, but it's a coffee that a lot of coffee roasters wouldn't expend the money to to purchase to flavor. Mm. They tend to do that with a lower end coffee, but we find that that allows that flavor to show up in the cup and the coffee doesn't overwhelm that flavor that you're after as well too. Okay. So do you
1: think it's so popular because of that little bit more mild flavor you're kind of hitting everyone's preferences with that mildness or is there a different reason that everyone just loves this coffee so much
0: i think that highlander grog is the white zinfandel of of coffee okay um so i had a uh, dinner one night with a wine vinter and he told me that uh you know we were tasting all these wonderful wines and i was like wow i didn't even know a lot of these existed and he said all of these exist because we make white zinfandel and everybody starts there and then they grow to become a Merlot or a Cabernet or okay. a Sauvignon Blanc lover at some point. But they all start in that way. And I think that, that like Highlander Grogan and our flavored coffees as a whole do the same thing. People start off with those. And then, hey, some of them stay there, and that's fine. We're all about that. But some of them move on and they want to explore and find go all the way to the ends of espresso and Turkish coffees and try everything that's out there. Yeah, for sure. So that's just kind of your entry level into coffee. That's exactly
1: right. Very cool. Well, we're going to stick with the theme of not giving away too many secrets here. But if you could take my hand and walk me through the process using Highlander Grog or whatever would be easiest for you for a base. Um, Take me and walk me through a shipment of beans come in in a burlap sack to the whole process until they get shipped out as in a dark canyon bag.
0: You bet. Well, the, the process is actually slightly longer than that because, you know, we're actually like Lori, my business partner, just got back from Peru. So we're tracking those beans from from origin to here in South Dakota to finally showing up in your cup. So you know, initially a coffee plant is going to take seven years before it produces a, a coffee bean, so it's planted. Oh, that's I would have never guessed that yeah. it takes take seven years. Yeah, we're hanging around for seven years okay. waiting for it to produce something that we can drink. Um, they're hand harvested, hand picked, sorted, um, depulped, and then they're put into that burlap sack, and then they're shipped um, to, to our brokers, and then they're shipped to us in, in South Dakota. Um, but essentially, that bean at that point, um, we're going to look at it, we're going to taste those coffees before that we ever each crop each year so that we know that we're getting a good crop from that particular growing region um and then they're going to go into our roaster which we had custom made for us um in california Uh, that thing is a cool looking (laughs) machine too i've gotten to lay eyes on that that is a cool looking rig it's really neat and the company that we had do it literally builds those one off based on your specifications and the way that you want to roast coffee yeah so it's, it's worked out pretty cool um, our roast master works his magic on it for about 20 minutes, and we're doing about 70 pounds at a time for 20 minutes. And those coffees are finally come out, and then they're quickly cooled because they'll continue to roast after they come out of the, the coffee roaster. Um, from that point on, they move into our production line um, where we'll use a coffee like Highlander Grog. Um, that coffee's getting added by weight to a container, and then by weight, uh, the flavoring is being added to it. It's being mixed, bagged, and shipped off to by UPS or by truck or showing up in your favorite coffee ho- house or coffee shop or gourmet store.
1: Yeah, for sure. Now, this may be in the realm of don't let anyone know this, but how hot, if you can say, like, on an average, you give me, like, a range that that roaster is roasting those beans. Well, if you can't tell me, just let well, me know.
0: There's an, there's an afterburner that's on it, a Vortec-type burner, that the heat comes off of. And those temperatures are over a 1,000 degrees. Um, now, we're just bleeding that heat off to to roast the coffees, but... You know, they essentially start from room temperature and they're going to end up somewhere between 400 and 500 degrees in a 20 minute period of time. Okay. So you got to put a lot of heat to them exactly. very quickly. Quick. Yeah,
1: very cool. Um, you hear uh, the term light roast, dark roast, medium roast, all this stuff. Besides just like looking at it in the color, can you give me like a more in depth uh, explanation of uh, what that means?
0: Yeah. Um, essentially, what the roast does is it impugns. The flavor of the roast master versus the flavor of the place where it came from. So the best description of that I would have would be if we took a piece of white bread and a piece of dark rye bread and we threw them both in, the, both in the toaster and toasted them side by side for just a few seconds and you pulled them out and you took a bite from each one. You would absolutely taste the difference between the two. Now if you put those two pieces of toast back in the toaster and kept going darker and darker and darker eventually you reach some point where they taste exactly the same or very, very close, where you can't taste the flavor anymore. And the same thing happens when we roast coffee. As we take it darker, um, you're tasting more of the roast and less of the place. Um, and some coffees are, are more legitimately, they, they can handle that, those types of heats and temperatures, and other ones cannot. And so it's a learning process, finding out where they're at. But what you'll find is, you know, as you get into that darker roasted realm, the French roasts in, the, in that area, you're tasting more roast and less of where that coffee came from. And one of the things we've always prided ourselves on was finding the roast that best brings out where that coffee's from.
1: Okay. Yeah. So you're kind of just focusing, letting the coffee do its thing instead of you trying to manipulate it to create some far off taste you just let that coffee have its own taste.
0: Yeah. And that's, I mean, it's one of the things you'll see in the huge macro roasters is that they'll do a lot of dark roast and, and, that's great for them because you get that same flavor in every shop that you go to of theirs. You get the same McDonald's hamburger in every McDonald's you go to, whether you're in Beijing, China, or whether you're in Chamberlain, South Dakota, they can mat- match that. And those big macro roasters do the same thing. They got multiple locations they're roasting at. Um, and so to, to maintain that flavor, they take it to that real dark level so you get the same flavor across okay. the board. Yeah. Whereas we have the advantage is one batch, single, one off roasting, we can find a sweet spot for the coffee every time and hit it.
1: Yeah. Um, okay, so this next one is, this could be a long answer and a long question, um, but we'll see how we can cover it here. Um, relationship coffees. Um, I know this is something you guys are really big, in and it's something that's really cool, too, um, that you get to see the whole relationship from grower to farmer, all this all the way to you guys. Can you touch on how that works and how you get paired up with what farmer and all that stuff?
0: Well, you know, essentially, relationship coffee is no different than, than knowing the guy that you got your hamburger from or, um, going to the farmer's market and buying fresh produce. The same things occurring, um, on the, on the coffee side of things. So, um, I mentioned that Lori, our, my business partner traveled to Peru and that was literally to go to the plantations where our coffee from Peru is, is coming from to guarantee that our, the farmers who are there are getting, a, a fair value for the, the coffee that we're getting from and to guarantee on our end that we're getting really, really good coffees. So we do that a couple different ways. you know obviously traveling uh, to the origin countries and, and developing and, and working those relationships directly with the farmer. Also through our brokers, we use a couple brokers throughout the United States who will bring the farmers here to the US and we can meet them directly and find out their issues and problems and what things they're working on so we can help those with, with them with those types of things. Um, I want to kind of the stories that maybe it'll take a minute, but that's all right. We have plenty of minutes. That's it. I sat with a, uh, one of our growers who's from Mexico. And one of the issues he had had years ago was that, um, he had raised his crop and in the midst of the growing season, his daughter became very sick and had to go to the hospital. Well, he couldn't afford to take her to the hospital, but he did. And then he had to pre-sell his, his coffee in advance, um, for pennies on the dollar, because he's going wants to help his child, and so he wound up not getting much for his coffee that year. He almost went bankrupt, and and just because one of his kids got sick. Well, he wants to produce great coffees, and we want to help him with that. So, through our broker, we developed a program where now what we do is we pay up front fifty percent of the value for that whole crop or what we estimate that crop's going to be and then he has working capital money he can deal with if he has an emergency or an issue he can he can deal with that if his kid gets sick he's got some money to do that with and then we pay the balance of it when the when the coffee's delivered whereas in the past those farmers never got paid they never got a penny they never got anything until the moment that coffee was delivered and they suffered because of it in this way we develop that relationship with them sometimes we pay a little too much for the coffee based on what the market's at we think we do the right thing socially for those kind of growers yeah
1: absolutely so it's i mean you're helping each other out by you know you're getting high quality coffees and they're also getting stable paychecks and they're not like oh relying on nothing going wrong for a certain period of time and they got to get their beans and
0: sell them um so yeah you're definitely helping each other out oh yeah without a doubt plus it's raised the level of the coffee too because they they hold that relationship important as well too so if there's something you know, they should be raising the beans in a different way or picking a different plant varietal. They're willing to do that because they want that relationship to go on as well. Too. For sure.
1: That's awesome. We're going to take a little breather and we're going to talk about the coffee delivery system of Burlap next. All right. Hey, guys and gals. This is Brett Mattis, the host of the Midwest Marketing Podcast. I need you to do me a favor really, really quick. I promise you it won't take long. However you're listening to this here podcast, go on to iTunes, Stitcher, maybe you're just on our website, whatever it is. Go give us a five-star rating. See those stars? There's going to be five of them. Just go to the one furthest on the right-hand side. Click that one. Maybe write a few quick nice words about us. Unless you don't like us very much, then don't write anything at all. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Let's get back to listening. All right, we're back. So I've always wondered, you get the coffee why in the world does it come in burlap sacks is it there is there a reason is it a benefit to it or is it just we've always done it that way so we're going to keep doing it that way it's
0: kind of a couple things actually first of all they're not always burlap some of them are made from a jute plant fiber which looks like burlap and kind of oh, okay. acts like burlap but and now some of them come in hemp bags as well so they use several products but the biggest reason they use it is because coffee in in its green form is so heavy Um, one of those bags is 150 pounds. Um, There's not much out there. You can't put that in a plastic sack and deal with it too well and be able to pick it up with hooks or things like that and still have it hold together. So that's primarily the reason it's done.
1: Okay, just a durability issue is what we're looking at. Yeah, it's exactly it. Um, So a couple years ago, I remember it was all big on social media that there was a great awakening Um, that coffee comes from the inside of red berries um, or a red plant Mm -hmm. uh, the fruit of a red plant is there any other just like ridiculous coffee misconceptions that people don't know you actually touched on that takes seven years which I'm sure many people don't know right Uh,
0: but is there anything else that maybe is way out there well the bean itself actually does come from the inside of a red cherry so there's two beans that face each other and every cherry you pick off the tree is got like Two, two separate beans. So, how big is that red
1: cherry? That I refer cherries, to it as a berry, but that's incorrect.
0: It, yeah, they call it a cherry, and it's it's probably as the size of a uh, um, you know a cherry tomato, maybe okay. just a, a, a touch smaller than that. And so, the the cherry itself has got a skin on the outside, then a substance called mucilage, which is underneath, and then there's a parchment underneath that that covers the bean. And one, kind of one of the things that's going on in the United States now is they're using that uh, that mucilage for um, a zero-calorie sweetener in products like Bi um, that's out there right now, that's actually using the coffee um, mucilage to, to sweeten those drinks without any calories, too. Oh, okay. So everything gets used, the, the parchment um, – and the mucilage and, and everything what gets turned back into fertilizer and rescattered on the plants themselves. So it's, it's a pretty green process. Matter of fact, most coffees grown in like a 70% shaded area. Usually they're growing another product over the top of it, uh, mangoes, bananas, uh, fruit of some sort normally. So um, most coffees are shade grown, whether they have a certification to that level or not, I would okay. say probably getting shade grown coffee. Um,
1: so you're saying they grow mangoes over the top. So like on a coffee plantation you got the coffee low, and then they're planting mango trees or already have mango trees to shade them.
0: That's exactly right. 70% shade, only 30% of the light kind of comes through. Um, They don't want direct sunlight. At least gourmet coffee plants don't want direct light. We touched on it earlier when we talked about stressing the plant slightly. Um, That's one of the things we do. There's a varietal of coffee. There's two varietals, actually, Arabica and Robusta. And Robusta is a real hardy plant that grows in direct sunlight. Usually your gourmet coffees aren't coming from that. Sometimes they'll call it sun coffee. So all of our coffees are Arabicas, and those grow at high altitudes, and they want that 70% shade. Um, They produce lots of flavor. They're naturally low in caffeine, um, but they're not very resistant to bug infestations and things like that. So a little tougher plant to to cultivate, but okay. get a better flavor, a yeah. little more, a little more work. That's exactly wow. it. You
1: you said a little bit about a certificate like shade certification. Can you touch on that about how that
0: works? Well, like shade grown coffees, and, and like I said before, most of the coffees you're getting are probably a shade grown coffee, whether you know it or not. They may not have a certification because to receive that certification, they don't have to have seven to ten other tree varietals in the area. So let's say you're a coffee grower and you have. Um, coffee plants growing and you have 70% coverage over the top, but it's all mango trees. Well, you don't qualify as a shade grown coffee. Oh, okay. You've got to have a diversity amongst the plants that are over the top. And then a certifier would come out and verify those coffees. Interesting. So people that do have the seven to
1: 10 different varieties of trees, um, is that their coffee, you got to pay more for that because it is certified.
0: Yeah. You typically you will, you know, there's tons of certifications that can go on the coffees between uh, fair grade, uh, fair trade, organic, shade grown. Um, the, I always joke about we were going to get our coffee certified as dolphin safe soon. Dolphin safe. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, one thing that I thought I got the tour of Dark Canyon, the facility. Um, the one thing that just blew my mind that I didn't know was in the like when you do pull them out of the bag and before they're in the roaster, they're small and like a whitish color, yeah. and then you roast them, and that's when they look like a coffee bean as everyone would
0: recognize it. That's, that's kind of it, too, in its sense. I mean, the bean doubles in size when it, uh, when we roast it. We also lose 40% of its weight in that roasting process, too, as we add that heat to it. Um, and so it travels through different levels of roast. It goes from green, which is the way we put it in initially. It travels into a, a realm we call coffee in the white, which is a coffee where it's at its first crack. Um, and then it goes to a level called cinnamon, which is just before we get to the level where we're in our roast between light and full city and French and Italian. So once it crosses that level past cinnamon and it looks literally the color of a cinnamon stick, then it becomes the coffees that we like to drink. Okay, for sure. So people
1: who are listening to this here podcast, they're like, man, I'm getting real thirsty. Where can they
0: find Dark Canyon um, local stores online, all that kind of stuff? Um, probably the easiest way to find us is to yeah to go to our website initially, darkcanyon-coffee.com. Um, and you can pr- certainly purchase it there. There's also a list of uh, local retailers that carry our coffee as well, too. And they're scattered from, from Texas to North Dakota and from California to the East Coast, literally. Yeah, that's the thing we keep
1: talking about. We're based in the Black Hills. Dark Canyon's based in the Black Hills. But, I mean, you can get coffee online. It can be shipped anywhere in, in stores. You can just go pick it up in your specialty coffee stores
0: or coffee shops all over the nation for the most part and getting there. Well, that's exactly it. As they found us and then they found that the quality of the coffees that we're doing, people have embraced that. And we as Americans aren't drinking as much coffee, but the coffee we're drinking is better. And so I think that's a better thing for all of us. Okay, for sure. Um, as we wrap
1: up, uh, is there any last-minute things that we, maybe we didn't touch on that you feel are super important, or just a random thought that's on your mind?
0: Well, I, just from the side of the side of Dark Canyon, or from myself and my uh, my business partners, I, I think we really appreciate the people out there who are really consuming our coffee and are really passionate about it. We get stories, we get flags shipped to us from the Middle East and Afghanistan and stuff. People are, are drinking our coffees and love it, um, and. It's just really cool and kind of heartwarming to to realize that this coffee that we that we're really passionate about these people are just as passionate as we are, maybe even more so at times and and uh we just love to thank those people out there who are doing that
1: for sure. that's great, good thank you. um my favorite coffee fact that I found um my favorite president is Teddy Roosevelt mm-hmm. love Teddy Roosevelt, and he's like the m- most famous president coffee drinker of all time. I don't know if you know this or not um but his son said, uh, his coffee, like his drinking vessel should be more in the realm of a bathtub. (laughs) Um, and it's rumored that he drank, which seems ridiculous and it's been a long time. So the story's probably grown. Um, but it's rumored that he drank a gallon of coffee a day, which seems very unhealthy. Um, because anything of that much is bad for you. It's gotta be.
0: Well, Um, it kind of depends too on the level or the strength of the coffee that he's drinking. So at that time, Uh, A lot of the coffees were really mellow and really mild and they weren't using much coffee because coffee was hard to get, hard to transport. Um, Abraham Lincoln's got a really famous line, speaking of presidents and talking about coffee. Um, Somebody brought him a cup of coffee and, of course, the Civil War was on and they were cut off from their coffee supplies. But they brought the cup out and he looked at it and took the sip and he said, if this is coffee, then bring me tea. And if this is tea, bring me coffee. Bring me coffee. (laughs) (laughs) But whatever it was was so light and so thin that there just wasn't any flavor to it. And that's... could very well be that Teddy Roosevelt was drinking he was drinking really thin soft coffee my dad drank some stuff he called Swedish gasoline which was coffee (laughs) that he drank all day same deal it was really mild and there wasn't much coffee to it but interesting
1: that's some good background to that story (laughs) so that maybe that is true he's just not drinking the potency of the coffee we have nowadays.
0: Yeah, that's exactly it. Just because it was so difficult and so hard to
1: transport. Interesting. Very cool. All right. Well, I guess I have to judge Teddy a little bit harder than if if he's only drinking soft coffee. (laughs) He did get shot and finish a speech. That's true. That's very true. Um, (laughs) Other than that, thanks for coming on, Greg. I appreciate you talking to me. Um, And thanks for tuning in. You bet. Anytime. Thank you.